just ripped them all apart. So just welcome to everybody who's joining us on our live stream. It's only one part of our service at Chelsea and City Temple. You can be part of the whole thing via Zoom by dropping us an email, or better yet, come and see us in person at Chelsea Community Church. Uh, if you have your Bibles with you, we're going to look at three different places. Uh, first of all, to Isaiah 33, then to uh, Matthew chapter 7, and Second Peter chapter 3. Before we read, let's bow in prayer. Gracious God, thank you so much for the Bible. I thank you that it is trustworthy and true, and that by your Holy Spirit, you speak to us through it. And I pray that you would do that today as we look into the coming year that starts tomorrow. Uh, speak to us, encourage us, strengthen us so that we might follow Jesus boldly. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you rest upon me, that I could bring your word to your people today through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. In Isaiah 33, just a couple of verses there, verses 5 and 6. The Lord is exalted, for he dwells on high. He will fill Zion with justice and righteousness, and he will be the stability of your times, abundance of salvation, wisdom, and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is Zion's treasure. Then I'm going to read 2 Peter next. 2 Peter chapter 3. Right at the end, starting with verse 14. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, that is, the end of the days, Jesus' return, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. And then finally, we're going to go to the end of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7. And we'll pick up with verse 21. Jesus is speaking here and he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never do you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone who then hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. 
And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. So I want you to pick between two words. I've got two words. Uh, Determines the story I'm going to tell you. Uh, Word number one is chair. Word number two is canoe. Chair or canoe. So you can can pick. How many would pick chair? How many pick canoe? Oh, man, that's just almost equal. Oh, chair. Uh, Let's try that again. How many would pick chair? That's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Okay, twelve. How many pick canoe? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Okay, canoe wins. I'll, I'll tell the chair story some other time. But uh, one of the, the the highlights of a summer in the United States, at least when I was growing up, was the annual float trip. Now, if you've never been on a float trip, they're great. Uh, it's not like whitewater rafting because we don't have that in Missouri. Uh, but a float trip is where you get into a canoe and you pack a lunch and some other things and you have paddles and you get onto a slow river and you all kind of go down the river and occasionally people will jump into the water and things like that. Uh, and there's usually two, maybe three people in a canoe, sometimes four, but they're not that big, you know. And so it's a lot of fun. You kind of enjoy it a little bit. And really a point of pride for a float trip. Very, very important. If you're going on a float trip, you got to know how to get in the canoe without tipping the canoe. In fact, you should never tip the canoe unless you have little small children with, with you know, life vests on who really enjoy that kind of thing. But if you're like with your wife, never tip the canoe. It's just, it can be hazardous to your health. I'm just saying, I'm just saying. So, so it's a real point of pride to be able to launch that canoe with all your stuff in it and get in the canoe and start out down the river as smoothly as possible. So this one summer, Karen and I were on the float trip. I think it might be with some other young people. I can't quite remember uh, we've been on so many, I didn't quite recall. So we got in. And of course, you got to be cool, right? You know, so I'm, I'm being very cool, getting into the canoe. We set out. We pushed out. We went about five feet, whoosh, dumped right into the water. So embarrassing. Now, of course, the rivers aren't that deep at that point. So you just stand up and you kind of put everything back in. Now it's kind of soaking wet. And so it's, it's quite embarrassing. So, but we, we got ourselves back together, got it back to the shore, put all of our stuff, because, you know, a smart person, like my wife, puts all the stuff in plastic bags, so if it does tip, you don't ruin lunch, right? You know, a less than smart person like myself may not do that, but as long as I'm surrounding myself with smart people, we're okay. And so we get, so we get back, get everything back situated, and Karen is in nervously this time, I must say. And I'm being trying to be cool, uh, wet, but cool. 
And, uh, and so I get into the canoe again. We, we set out. We go about 10 feet from the shore. Whoop! It just flips right over. And it's just, I'm just, I'm like, I'm, it's like, what's going on here? This is terrible. And it was at that moment that I looked at the empty canoe sitting in the river. Now, an empty canoe, they, they write themselves. So an empty canoe is normally the, the seat in the canoe is flat, you know, so you can sit in it. This canoe was tilted like this. And thus, the reason why every time we would flip over, it was not a stable canoe. And, uh, and so we changed it for another canoe. And I'm happy to say, no tip. I was Mr. Cool then, as I was not before. But I was thinking about this story and the chair story, which I didn't tell you. And you're going to have to wait to another time to hear it. But... Uh, uh, I was thinking about this. I don't know if you saw a few weeks ago uh, what happened in Helmsby. Uh, it's a, a lovely village on the coast in Norfolk. And the waves had come up. And one of the main roads along the seashore completely collapsed into, onto the beach. And in fact, there, there are some areas where they're starting to tear down homes because that solid ground, you know, that people were standing on, the solid ground that people built their homes on turned out to be not quite as stable as they thought it was. And this whole issue of stability, I, I thought about it again when I saw the, the recent volcanic eruption into Iceland. You know, can you imagine that ground liquefying underneath you? Uh, it's a scary experience if you've ever been in an earthquake to have things shake that shouldn't be shaking. You know, stability is something that's really, really important to us as human beings. It's essential. Uh, and stability occurs, it's important in a lot of different areas. You know, having personal stability is important. Economic stability in this country is important. Political stability is important. Family stability you know, the most important thing for a child, the biggest guarantee that a child will grow up healthy, mentally balanced, and flourishing as an individual, the, the biggest factor is a stable relationship between mother and father of that child. Stability is absolutely essential for us. We need stability in order to have well-being uh, and uh, both personally and in our society. And when we don't have stability, when things can change without warning and in unanticipated ways, everybody, every human being, doesn't matter where you are, doesn't matter what culture you're a part of, everybody, everybody experiences a lower quality of life. We have decreased personal well-being and prosperity, decreased social well-being and prosperity, and we have increased stress and anxiety. Even people who say, well, I love change, you know, I, I, like, to, I like to be adventurous, they depend on stability. Those people that like to be daredevils and say, oh, I want to do some bungee jumping, they depend on stability to, uh, uh, if, if they knew 
that that rope was going to break, they wouldn't do it. So they seem like they're risk takers, but they need stability. And if we don't have stability, we're in a problem. And right now, we are living in a very unstable world. In fact, we've been living in an unstable world for much more than a decade, at least since the 2008 financial crisis. And maybe you can look back further to around the year uh, 2000. We've been living in an unst unstable world, and the instability is increasing, not decreasing. And we saw that over this last year. We saw that in Israel. We've seen that uh, in the Middle East. We've seen that in Ukraine. We've seen that all over the world, the increase of instability. And in this new year, we are going to see something more regarding instability, something we have seen, but it's going to escalate. And so that leads me to God's word for 2024. Now, if you go online, you'll find a lot of prophetic people. They'll give you the word for 2024, and usually it's five to 30 minutes long. Uh, so I'm going to give you God's word for 2024. Are you ready? Dramatic pause. Destabilization. And it's literally a word. Now, I'm going to add to that on Thursday night at the City of London House of Prayer, gathering the co-op, as we call it. Uh, so if you haven't signed up for, the, for our email list, you should do that. So you get an invite to come to the meeting. You'll hear a little bit more. Uh, but it is a single word, destabilization. Now, destabilization is not just instability, something that's unpredictable, erratic, or not firmly established. Destabilization is the attempt to create instability and uncertainty. It's the attempt to make something unstable. It's trying to, to, Christ, to cause something to stop existing or at least to stop working uh, in the usual way or the desired way. Uh, destabilizing means to upset the smooth or healthy functioning of something. You can destabilize a family. You can destabilize a school. You can destabilize the economy. You can destabilize a government. And people, some people intentionally seek destabilization because when there's destabilization going on, people are much easier to control and manipulate. So if you create instability, then it's very easy to become the person who's in charge. And in times of great instability come times of great autocratic dictators and other autocratic leaders. And sometimes they're in churches, sometimes they're in governments, sometimes they're in other countries. But destabilization is something that we are going to see on an increasing basis. Ultimately, destabilization creates anxiety, and it's the attempt to control other people. And you will see that more and more and more in 2024. It's been there the last year or two, 
but you're going to see it more and more. And the problem is that if you create destabilization, ultimately it's not controllable. It will always lead to outcomes that are problematic, even for the person who creates destabilization. Now let me give you some examples, some recent examples. Uh, maybe you've heard the report in the United States of where the state of Colorado and the state of Maine have both uh, banned Donald Trump from the primary ballots in those states. Now that is an attempt to destabilize American democracy. No matter what you think of Trump, it's an act of destabilization. The upcoming junior doctor strike, the fact that they're gonna be striking for six consecutive days, they know that it will have a destabilizing influence on the NHS. The doctors leading it, they understand full well what they're promoting, and the goal is to destabilize the NHS in order to force the government to give them a pay rise. Recently, we've seen the Houthis attack shipping in, uh, in the Red Sea. Again, that's an attempt at destabilization. The failure of policing in the UK is another destabilizing influence in our society. The level of fear, the shoplifting that's increased because of a failure of policing has been very, very challenging for our society. So the world right now is primed for destabilization and we are going to see it increasing throughout our society and in our world throughout 2024. You know, next year, more than 2 billion people are going to the polls in over 50 different nations to vote, into new leader, vote in new leadership, including the UK and the United States. That is a perfect time to bring about destabilization. Now, destabilization generally comes out of either human sinfulness or demonic manipulation. Demons love destabilization. They love to destabilize your family. They want to destabilize your workplace. They want to destabilize our economy. They want to destabilize churches. But human beings, they get into destabilization all the time. Sometimes if I can't have my way, I'm going to throw a temper tantrum and try to destabilize things. Sometimes it's just our human blindness that leads us down the path of destabilization. But you know, occasionally, destabilization can come from God as a discipline on a society, much as happened with Israel during the exile. So we as Christians, we must prepare ourselves to flourish during times of destabilization. And there's a number of things that we can do but I want to focus on some things that come from these verses today. Because as Christians, now that we know it's coming, we need to get ready for it. You can't be perfectly ready for it, but you need to get ready for it. You need to prepare yourself so if it comes to your workplace, it comes to our society, it comes to our world, you can continue to follow Jesus and flourish 
as a Jesus follower. So how do you do that? How do you do that? There are three things we learned from the scriptures today. Number one is that we have to look to God and trust God himself to be the stability of our times. That was the promise of Isaiah. God will be the stability of your times. Now, if we base our stability on our government, we're in trouble. If we base our stability on our bank account, we're in trouble. If you base your stability on your job, you're in trouble, especially today, especially in this world. Right now, we have to look to God and trust God to be the stability of our times. We find our stability in times of instability by having faith in God, by looking to him because he's the sovereign Lord of the universe. And in this time, as we look to God further, we find our stability in looking to God by knowing who we are in Jesus Christ. You must know who you are in Jesus. That if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're a saint. You're a holy one. You're a child of God. You're a son of God. You're the bride of Christ. You've been adopted by God. You are loved by God. You are cherished by God. You are protected by God. You are being kept by God. If you don't know who you are in Christ, you will fall during times of instability. So you have to look to God, faith in God, and know who you are in Jesus Christ and believe it. You must choose to believe who you are in Jesus Christ. And as we're looking to God, knowing who we are in Jesus Christ, as we're looking to God, we need to understand that God is the source of all justice and all righteousness in our lives. A lot of times in instability, what do we try to do? We want to make our own justice. We want to make things right for ourselves. We want to correct people so that they relate to us in the right way instead of correcting ourselves to relate to others in the right way. And so in times of instability, in times of destabilization, that's even truer. So we have to look to God and say, God, you're my justice and you are my righteousness. You and you alone. And we need to understand that as we're looking to God, from God, we will receive abundance of salvation, Isaiah says. And that's not only being saved so you don't go to hell, but that's mean, that means being delivered and cared for and protected by the Lord. You will receive abundance of wisdom, says Isaiah, which means you'll understand how to live your life well in the times of instability. See, the problem is, for a lot of us, we make fundamental errors in times of instability. We trust our senses instead of trusting our training, instead of trusting what we're supposed to do. So many times, if there's an earthquake, what do they do? Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to run out of the building as fast as possible. That's when most people get killed instead of going to a door frame or something like that, something solid that's being supported. So that at least if the building collapses around you, you should have a safe pocket. 
There's so many things like that that we're trained to do in the natural. Well, we need to get God's wisdom for what to do as we live our lives in times of instability. And only God can give us that wisdom. Only God sees things the right way. And Isaiah says here, the promise is that if we're looking to God, trusting God for the stability of our times, he gives us abundance of knowledge, which means an abundance of insight. We'll get a deeper understanding about what is happening and how we fit into that and how we need to respond to it. So Isaiah says, if you're looking to God, treasure the fear of the Lord, but don't fear instability. Be afraid of the Lord, respect the Lord, but don't focus yourself on the instability. Look to God because by faith, he will be the stability of your times. And the second thing we learn from the text here, this kind of flows in, uh, in 2 Peter here. I'd summarize it this way. Say, we need to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We need to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, Lord means that Jesus is your leader. He's got to be the leader. He's not one of your leaders. Jesus demands to be your sole leader. And Savior means that Jesus is the one who saves us from our sins. He's the one who has rescued us through his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. You cannot save yourself. So if you're not looking to Jesus as your leader and as your Savior, you cannot grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? The first thing is that relationship with Jesus. You have to have that and you have to stay in it. But then you can grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. How do you do that? Well, Peter gives us some ideas. He tells us to be diligent to live a morally pure life. If you sin, if you make a mistake, deal with it. Repent, turn away from it immediately because God's grace is there to pick you up. As Christians, we don't have to be afraid of our sin. God's grace is greater than our sin. And if we're trusting Jesus as our leader and the one who forgives our sins, then Jesus will help us to live rightly before God, a life that is morally pure. And when we mess up, as we all do, Jesus will pick us up clean us off and keep us going. But we have to be diligent to do this. You got to be diligent to do it. It's just kind of like washing your hands. If you don't want to get sick, you got to be diligent to wash your hands every chance you get. We've all learned that in the last few years. We have to be diligent for it. And Peter also says, if we're going to grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we need to be at peace. We need to be diligent to be at peace with other people. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> it takes work to be at peace with people, especially when they're annoying you. 
It's very easy to be at peace with somebody who does something good to you. It's very difficult if you feel like they've mistreated you, disrespected you, or something similar. So we have to be diligent to be at peace. And when Jesus is patient with us, when we sin and we don't get struck dead immediately, when we don't experience consequences, then we need to understand that's part of his salvation. So his patience is not an excuse for us to do more sin or to keep on sinning, but his patience is justification for us to turn from it, repent, and experience his forgiveness. And if we're going to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we need to read and believe the Bible for that knowledge of Jesus. It's very popular today. There's a lot of people who are making up a Jesus in their own mind. It's very fashionable. I hear all the time, oh, Jesus is all about love. He's all about grace. He's all, and you know, it's like people have never read the Bible. Yes, Jesus is all loving and he's all gracious, but he also has standards. He also has expectations for his followers. It's quite clear there. So how do you know what it is? You got to read and believe the Bible. That's where you get your true knowledge of Jesus Christ. But you have to beware because right now, and the world is filled right now with what Peter calls ignorant and unstable people who twist the scriptures, who don't understand what the Bible really says. And Peter says, you need to take care. You need to be careful not to be carried away with the error of these lawless people and lose your own stability. Now, there's so many examples. I could take hours just to talk about examples that I see. I re remember reading an article uh, by someone. I won't even... Uh, I won't mention where it is or who it was, uh, read an article uh, uh, by someone who was talking about the man who was crucified next to Jesus. Remember, Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise, right? And she said, this is an example of Jesus's unconditional love that the guy didn't do anything. He made no response to Jesus. And Jesus said, hey, today you'll be with me in paradise. That's baloney. There's other words you could use there, but it's baloney. Because the man, if you read the gospel, you actually read what the Bible says, and this is someone who should have known, uh, if you actually read what the Bible says, you learn, first of all, that the man was one of two that were attacking Jesus and criticizing Jesus while they were all three hanging on the cross. And then later on, one of the guys started to attack him, but clearly the second man had had a change of heart. So he said, hey, you don't know, to the other guy, you don't, guy, you don't know what you're talking about. You know, stop it, he's not done anything wrong. And then the man says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And then Jesus says, this day you'll be with me in paradise. Yes, there is, Jesus has this amazing love, but the man had a change of heart so that he could experience that love. 
The man changed his behavior. He acknowledged his sinfulness and he experienced the overflowing love of Jesus Christ. That's just one example of how people twist the scriptures today. And there's a lot of them. And the only way you can protect yourself against that is to know the Bible and to challenge everything to go deep. Because if you do not have a true knowledge of Jesus, you are inherently unstable and in a very dangerous place. You need a true knowledge of Jesus. And we see that in Jesus' words there from the Sermon on the Mount, which will lead us into our third point here. Jesus said, hey, depart from me. I didn't know you. Here were people who thought they were following Jesus, who were saying to Jesus, you're my Lord. But they weren't following Jesus. They weren't responding to Jesus. And so the second thing, the third thing, by the way, that we need to do to prepare ourselves for instability and for destabilization is to practice everyday obedience. Practice what I'm calling everyday obedience. The first is we look to God and have faith in God and trust him that he will be our stability. The second is to grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. <coughs> Excuse me. And the third is to practice everyday obedience. Everyday obedience is simply following Jesus daily in the small things of your life. It's practicing personal discipline in following Jesus. Now, frankly, a lot of Christians are just lazy. Oh, I'll pray if I get time. I'll read the Bible if I have a few minutes. I'll come to church if I want to, if it's convenient. Now, those are undisciplined ways of living. And I've seen a lot of Christians who look for really glorious things, but they haven't put in the basic discipline. And they often miss it. It's kind of like in a marriage relationship. If I don't discipline myself in how I speak to my wife every single day, we can fall into problems. And so you have to practice it every day. And the high moments that we experience as a couple are only there because we've practiced everyday obedience in terms of our relationship with one another. So we need to understand everyday obedience is often very boring and seemingly unimportant. It's about doing the unexciting things that we often don't want to do, but it's essential faithfulness. I mean, come on, let's face it. Church is not the most exciting thing every Sunday. Sometimes it's more exciting than other times. I know you're thinking, Rod, you could only be talking about other churches, not Chelsea, but no, it's true here. You know, being honest. But you know how we get ready for when God does do the exciting things? 
is Sunday after Sunday, we come together, we worship the Lord, we do life together as the people of God. And that everyday obedience, day by day, week by week, puts us in the place where we can experience what God wants to offer us. As Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Now, we've, we've got many Christians around us. They're, they're looking after prophecies. That's why I, I talk to people all the time. They want to watch, you know, prophetic leader after prophetic leader. They want to hear word after word. I spent uh, uh, a month uh, a year ago just listening to prophetic words about the coming year. And I was surprised at how much was unoriginal, how much echoed what somebody else said, and how much really didn't come true or you wouldn't know if it did come true. I mean, at the end of 2024, you'll either be able to look out back and say, yeah, destabilization was an issue last year, or you'll say, well, actually things got more stable, so Rod was really wrong, you know? And it's okay, I don't mind being wrong. I would rather be wrong and that things be stable than to see lots of destabilization, frankly. So there's a lot of Christians that look for prophecies. There are a lot of Christians that want to cast out demons. And let me tell you, it's fun to cast out a demon. It's really, uh, it can be a little intense if you haven't done it before. But when you see someone free, you're going, whoa, Jesus, that's awesome. Or how about a miracle? I mean, I love to do miracles. I haven't seen enough miracles, but I've seen some. I mean, it's really fun to lay your hands on somebody and see God heal them instantly. That's great. And there are a lot of people that go after that. And I'm not against going after those things. In fact, we're going to do that more. Marcus is going to make sure we're doing that more. We're going to do that more. We're going to get into that more. We're going to pray for more people because we want to see God do more things. We want to see God do more miracles. We're surrounded by so many miraculous things that God has done for us. But Jesus called these people who were doing prophecies, who were doing casting out demons, doing deliverances, who were doing mighty works. He said, you guys are just nothing more than workers of lawlessness. I don't know you. They were lawless. In other words, they were not obeying the Lord day by day. It's what lawlessness is. It's not these romantic notions of the Western United States, the lawless territory where the men have the big guns. It's simply not obeying the Lord day by day, moment by moment. And as workers of lawlessness, they are complicit with the lawless spirit of the age. They think they're better because they're Christians, but they're not. They're participating in the lawlessness in the society around them. So they need to practice this everyday obedience. Prophecies, deliverances, miracles mean nothing without obedience. 
The Bible tells us that Satan will counterfeit prophecies, deliverances, and miracles. But he cannot counterfeit the person in love with Jesus who seeks to follow Jesus and honor Jesus day by day with their lives. Not in a legalistic way, but in a way of relationship that comes through grace and knowledge of Jesus and what he wants to, to have done. So Jesus says here, he says, you know, you got to be wise. Be wise. Build your life on the rock. Build your life on that which is stable. The rock is stable. The rock is stable. Build your life on the rock, Jesus says, which means doing what he says. Hear Jesus' words and do them. Your life will be on the rock. It will be stable even in times of instability. However, Jesus warns us that without everyday obedience, without obeying what the Lord says, hearing the Lord's words and doing them, your life is built on sand. It's even weaker than those houses that were built on the coast of Norfolk because they're built on the beach. They're built on sand. And when the storms come, and the storms will come, when the storms come, those who are built on the sand will be washed away. In these times of destabilization, we need to look to God and have faith in him to be our stability, to grow every day, week by week, in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and to practice every day obedience. I know someone used to be a friend of mine many, many years ago. This man at one point in time, he received what he thought was a prophecy over his life. And the prophecy was that he would be an apostle. He would reach to the nations. He was excited about this. You know, a lot of people would be excited about that. Unless you read the scripture and you find out that apostles get persecuted, beaten, and put down. Uh, but uh, uh, so if someone gets an app, a word about being an apostle and they're excited about it, I know they haven't really read the Bible. And, uh, but this guy, you know, he's excited about it. And for years, he looked for it. For years, he'd go to different churches and, and try to step into that apostolic leadership. Well, for years, he tried to, to say, God, why isn't the word fulfilled? For years, he went through times of, uh, of bitterness where he felt like people just didn't recognize his gift, didn't acknowledge him, didn't care for him, didn't honor him. And he struggled and he wrestled. And I'm, I'm talking 20 years, 30 years going through this. And when I knew him, he was part of a church. And the leader of this church had said, said to him, he said, listen, I want you to take some responsibility in the life of the church. I see what God's doing in your life. And he called out some of his gifts and he called out some of the things that God had clearly put on this man's life. And he didn't do any of them. And eventually he just left the church. <clears throat> broken, disappointed, and still looking for that time when he could become an apostle. 
and it will not happen because he was unwilling to practice everyday obedience to walk into that. I know another man who was in some of the worst conditions imaginable. His country had collapsed. He was a stranger in a strange land. And yet, every day he sought to obey the Lord. Even when everybody around him was going the other way, even when everybody around him thought he was ridiculous, he was committed to obey the Lord. Not ostentatiously, not arrogantly, not pridefully, but quietly, faithfully, day by day by day. And this man outlasted at least three major changes of government. He had a senior government position and became one of the most influential men in that society because he practiced everyday obedience. You might recognize his name was Daniel. But there's the difference. Daniel lived through incredible times of instability. And yet he practiced everyday obedience. We are going to live not only through incredible times of instability, but through times where people are attempting to destabilize various things in the world around us. But as we look to the Lord for our stability, as we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ day by day, and as we practice everyday obedience, we will be on the rock. And his name is Jesus. Let's pray.